Hi, I'm Avni Majitia Sejpal, Senior Writer at the Center for Court Innovation. Welcome to another episode of our New Thinking Podcast. Today, we're here to talk about Safer Tomorrows. Safer Tomorrows was established in Grand Forks County, North Dakota, as part of the Department of Justice-funded Defending Childhood Demonstration Project, which was designed to address children's exposure to violence through eight demonstration sites across the country. We at the Center for Court Innovation have just released individual process evaluation reports on six of these eight sites, as well as a multi-site report that condenses the lessons learned through our research. Today, from Safer Tomorrows, we're talking to Carrie Kerr, Director of Community Innovations at the Community Violence Intervention Center and leadership team member of the Safer Tomorrows Project, amongst others, and Christy hall Geron, Executive Director of the Community Violence Intervention Center. Carrie and Christy, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having us. Thanks. We're glad to be here. Let's begin by talking a little bit about the project itself. Safer Tomorrow's aimed to implement universal prevention programming in Grand Forks County. My question is, what made you decide to focus on school-based prevention programming? I think there were a couple of factors that went into our decision. The main one was our state had just actually passed anti-bullying laws requiring schools to develop some type of a policy or a response. And so the timing was really good in terms of approaching the school system. And then we also know that obviously for our school system, we can have a wide reach of, of youth that are attending school, and certainly from kindergarten all the way up through 12th grade, and we went beyond that and looked at some of the preschool in our community as well. I think just to add to that, too, we also had really spent some time developing a good, strong working relationship with the schools in several years before this project, and so we really felt like we already had the leadership of the school system on board. The superintendent served on our agency's board of directors, and so we really felt like the timing was right. We already had the collaborative relationships, and so it was a natural outcome for us to focus in that way. When we talk about violence, what are some of the forms of violence, specifically pertaining to children and teenagers, that need to be addressed urgently in your county? Well, when we first developed our Safer Tomorrow project, we, of course, wanted to be very inclusive of all types of violence and really make sure that we were addressing anything that could affect a child. And we also wanted to look at how to prevent violence and not just intervene. But we did want to also look at the things that were most impacting our children. So what we did before we even started developing our programming was really to do kind of a needs assessment as to what the most prevalent forms of violence were. So as we looked at existing statistics and then gathered additional data, what we found is that the kinds of violence that we saw the most in our county was in pertaining mostly to bullying in the school system or just anywhere. And then also children exposed to domestic violence at home. And then though we had fewer statistics, on dating violence, we heard from a lot of our stakeholders that they felt that that was a pretty primary issue as well. Though we tried to address all of the issues, those were the areas that we really focused in on. And can you talk to us a little bit about the different features or highlights of the project? We look at it in three different areas. We designed the program around intervention efforts. So any child age 0 to 17 that you know was being impacted in some way by violence, we wanted to make sure we were finding a way to intervene. Then we also looked at prevention. How could we start building the kind of programming in our community that would prevent this type of violence from happening so that, you know, two generations from now, we aren't even having to have these conversations anymore. 
And then the third piece we really tried to build in was a very strong data and evaluation component because we really wanted to base our decisions on available data and then ongoing evaluation so that we could tweak what we implemented as we found out if it was working or not or as different types of violence changed. And hopefully if we were seeing good results, we could start making some of those adjustments. As far as specific things that are under each of those areas, maybe I'll have Carrie talk about that a little bit. Sure. We were able to implement a variety of different prevention programs, many of which are evidence-based. Some of those included ALS PALS, which is for our youngest population, the OVAS Bullying Prevention Program. We also implemented the fourth R for health classes, Friendships at Work, which is a positive friendship curriculum. A couple different programs looking at some of the online issues that can happen with students, so that would be NetSmarts and Digital Citizenship. And then we also had one of our schools implement lessons in literature, and then we did coaching boys into men. So we really had a variety of prevention programming spanning from, again, the early years all the way up to 12th grade. And then as Chrissy mentioned, we had a lot of intervention services offered as far as specialized therapy services, and then Lutheran Social Services of North Dakota has provided restorative justice programming and healthy families. also been able to work with some of our families. So given that you're targeting children and teenagers in such a wide age range from 0 through 17, how did you adapt your methods to different ages and specifically to the youngest children? You're right. That's a very wide age spread, not just for prevention, but actually in the area of intervention as well. But as Carrie mentioned, for the youngest kids, we implemented Al's Pals. It's a puppet program. So it's basically working with kids as they're playing. And so we really tried to adapt to what would be age appropriate. As we got more into elementary school, the curriculum focuses more on respect and being kind to each other and those kinds of things. And then as we moved into middle school age, we looked a little bit more at anti-bullying and respectful friendships and what does a healthy friendship look like? How do we treat each other? Those kinds of things. And then, of course, as we got to the high school level, we looked more at dating violence and healthy relationships. So really just trying to adapt the programming that we picked to really fit with each age group and what would be most primary for that group. And how did you adapt evidence-based and promising practices and tools, especially given that your target audience spans such a wide age range? I think one of the ones that we ended up having to adapt a little bit the most was our Friendships at Work curriculum, which is a pr- more of a promising practice. It was initially designed for seventh grade classes, And as we were implementing, we were receiving feedback from some of the teachers for a variety of different reasons. They felt that it would be better suited for fifth grade. And so, again, the author of that curriculum went back in to adjust some of the language that we used as we're teaching it, some of the videos that she used, some of the examples that she would give, just to adjust that down to a fifth grade level. Because, again, you're going down three levels from what it was initially designed for. And we're finding that it's working really well in the fifth grade is right now too. One of the other adjustments that we made was in the lessons in literature and that was a something that we were originally going to do in our high school English classes but the curriculum was designed in Canada and the literature that they use in Canada was not going to work for our high schools here in Grand Forks and so we basically kind of did some more research and decided to implement the fourth R in our health classes rather than lessons in literature. So it was just some of those little speed bumps along the way you just look at what else you can do instead and just always try to adapt to your population. Oh, that's really interesting. What were some of the challenges you encountered as you went about implementing your various programs? Well, I think anytime you are involving a whole county of people, which involves seven different school districts and thousands of kids, 
it's really hard to just make sure that it's all being rolled out uniformly. And so we know that all the curriculum that we implemented is only as good as it actually is at the level of the teacher implementing it or the staff person implementing it. And so I think it's always a challenge just to make sure that everybody is doing it and doing it in a consistent way. I would just add to that that, as Carrie mentioned, just when you've got seven different initiatives that are all trying to implement on a whole spectrum of ages zero to 17, all the way from intervention to prevention, you have got a lot of moving parts. And I think you absolutely cannot over-communicate at that point. And so just trying to make sure everybody knew what each other was doing and that we were all keeping that common vision in front of us was really a constant challenge. What are some of the lessons learned that you can pass on to other counties that might be interested in implementing prevention programming that is similar to yours? I think one of the biggest lessons that we learned is to just plan for more time than you think you're going to need. And then I think, especially if it is involving any kind of federal funds, it's really important to have adequate time to have the review process that you need in place for different publications and things like that. That was another thing that sometimes would slow us down a little bit. And I think in addition to that, just having good communication that's ongoing with your collaborative partners is important. We had a lot of committees that we set up to make sure that everyone stayed on top of what was happening in our project. We did that through actual face-to-face meetings as well as email and phone conversations and then being flexible as the project continues to make adaptations as they're needed. What are some of the results that you have been witnessing? Well, we'll be continuing to monitor this on an ongoing basis, but some of the most exciting results that we've seen thus far is that at the elementary level, we've seen 42% fewer fourth and fifth grade students who are reporting being bullied. We've also had 46% fewer high school students who have reported that during the past six months, someone has forced them to do something sexual that they did not want to do. And we've had 28% fewer fourth to 12th grade students reporting that they witnessed violence in their home. So we're very excited about the preliminary results and really are interested to see where this will go in the future. Wonderful. Thanks so much for speaking to me. That was really interesting. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. I'm Avni Majitia Sechbal from the Center for Court Innovation, and I've been speaking to Carrie Kerr and Christy hall Giron about the Grand Forts, North Dakota, Defending Childhood Initiative, Safer Tomorrows. Visit our website at www.courtinnovation.org to download our other podcasts and reports on the Defending Childhood Demonstration Project. Thanks very much for listening.